Uh, this morning, we are continuing our study through the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be looking today at part two of what I thought was initially just going to be no parts. It was just one, one study. I got ended halfway through uh, last week due to uh, just running out of time. But part two today of a study I've titled Building and Defending the Wall, and we're going to be looking today at Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. But let's start our time by reading verses 1 through 9 of Nehemiah chapter 4. If you need a Bible, they're on the back table there. Uh, You can download our church app. There's a Bible app on the app. Uh, But let's read together. Nehemiah 4 verse 1. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break it down, or break down their stone wall. Verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. As I reminded us last week, It's only going to take them 52 days to do what could be done, or what could not be done, in 92 years of the people being back in Jerusalem after returning from 70 years of exile. But the work of rebuilding the walls and the gates, as we saw last week and we're going to continue to see today, is not going to happen without a lot of opposition, I want to share the quote that I shared last week from Alan Redpath, uh, still very applicable for what we're looking at today. Alan Redpath said, said this, he said, there is a wall to be built around the city of your soul. There is a wall to be built, a testimony to be erected around your church. There is a wall of witness and testimony to be built around the whole kingdom of God in all the world. Whether you be concerned primarily with building the wall in your own soul or with, the build, with building the wall of your church or with building the wall of the kingdom of God throughout the whole world, you will discover that there is no winning without warfare. There is no opportunity without opposition. There is no victory without vigilance. For whenever the people of God say, let us arise and build, Satan says, let me arise and oppose. As we continue to make our way through this chapter, we're going to see that this work of building and defending the wall really does hold so much application for us today. You know, whether we're single or married, parent or grandparent, young or old, 
man or woman, God wants to challenge us. He wants to stir us. He wants to uh, encourage and, and charge us to step up in these last days to be about Him, to be about others, to build one another up, to strengthen areas which might be weak, to minister in areas of brokenness, to pray for one another, to stand firm in this spiritual battle, and to not let the enemy take any more ground. Because hasn't he taken enough? Way too much. Now, in the first nine verses of this chapter, which we studied last week, along with verse 10, that'll be sort of our transition verse this morning, we saw opposition come in the form of discouragement and distraction, and then an elevation of the opposition that came in the form of an actual physical threat, but all of it with the goal of causing the work on the walls and the gates to be stopped and cause the people to want to give up. But we also saw the prayer life of Nehemiah. We saw his trust in the Lord. We saw how his prayers, along with the prayers of the people, led to them actually building the wall up to half its height. That as Nehemiah prayed, God did a work in causing the people to have a unified mind, a unity to, to just set their, their hands to the work, and that through the prayers of the people, God worked in his people. He helped them to act wisely in setting this watch against the enemy day and night. But with all that context in mind, let's begin with the verse we ended with last week, verse 10. It says, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. As we considered last week, up to this point, the people had been working and working. They had been building and clearing rubble away and it just started to exhaust and overwhelm and overtake the people to where they were about to give up. Judah was known as one of the strongest tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel. And now the strong tribe is going, we're losing it. Like, I'm to the point where I can't do it anymore. We can't do it anymore. The work is too big. There's too much rubble. Like, we don't, we don't think we have it in us. You imagine the discouragement that that potentially could have been to Nehemiah as a leader? He's trying to keep everything going. The Lord's help. He's trying, and, and God's unified them, and it's halfway there, and you can maybe see it from Nehemiah's perspective. He's looking on, going, wow, look at what's happened. Look at how close we are. And all the people could see is, look how much more needs to be done still. Focusing on all the things that haven't taken place. Maybe in their minds, they would have thought, I, I thought we would be done by now. What kind of expectations that the people might have had that they would have brought to the table as they worked, that me, Nehemiah would have had a battle against even as he sought to lead well, to focus not on, on all that still needed to be done, but on all that God could do. And isn't that a constant battle for you and me? We'll focus on the things that like, man, all the things that still have to take place. How far we still have to go. How far someone seems to be away from the Lord. 
And we often fail in seeing from God's vantage point because we're not Him. We, we miss that. We're looking here. We sit in time. We're temporal beings. We're human. We're frail. And, and we look out and all we see is through my lens, through your lens. And it lacks all the potential that God sees, doesn't it? And I love that God sort of imparted to Nehemiah a vantage point, a perspective that the people just needed and we need so often. God, I need to see things the way that you do. Because if I can see them the way that you do, I can keep going. I shared last week how that can often happen, the desire to give up or maybe feeling overwhelmed and exhausted. Oftentimes it happens because we're maybe doing things in our own fleshly efforts or maybe because we've gotten distracted and focused on other things. We considered that verse from Zechariah chapter 4 that God speaks to Zerubbabel who was obviously discouraged and needing encouragement. It's not going to be by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God that that work of rebuilding the temple in his day was going to happen. I encouraged us in how, you know, no matter how mountainous our, our issues or problems might be, that God's able to make the mountain we're facing into a plain. But there's something else I didn't point out last week, an, an angle or perspective I was reminded of actually after Sunday uh, through one of Sherry's uh, podcasts, actually, that I, that I believe we also need to consider. And that's that, what if God does not move the mountains? We know he's able to, but what if he doesn't? See, even though God is going to reveal the enemy's plans and thwart their plot, the opposition was not removed. It's actually going to continue, as we'll see in future studies in Nehemiah. And and sometimes it's not even blatant opposition from outside. It's compromise from the inside. Yes, our God is able to move or remove mountains, but if he doesn't, he has grace and strength for you and for me. He wants to give us what we need, his grace, his strength, his power to be able to endure. When we consider this biblical subject of endurance, you know what comes along with it? Is the, is the presupposition that you have a load that you have to bear up under. Because that's what the word endurance speaks of. If we had no load to bear up under, there'd be no need for endurance that God would call us to have or say that he wants to build into us as his people. You and I may not see the mountain moved, but we're able by the power and strength of God to keep going maybe up the mountain if necessary by God's grace and endure, keep moving forward to not stall out or give up, but to endure by the power of God. Just as much as the power of God is needed to move the mountain, the power of God is needed for you and for me to endure in difficulty, to persevere. 
The opposition for the Jewish people here did not go away, but God provided encouragement in the midst of their failing strength. And in our weakness, Jesus wants to make his strength perfect or complete in us. I want to share two passages that clearly reinforce this, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 and 29, and this is actually the Lord speaking in this passage. He says, have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. Notice, he increases strength. He doesn't say, and he removes every difficulty, because he doesn't always do that. To those who are weak, he increases strength. Have no might, he increases strength. Paul God speaks the same sort of thing to Paul in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul shares this with the church of Corinth. Paul writing, he says, And he, speaking of the Lord, said to me, after he had prayed three times that the Lord would remove this thorn in his flesh, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You talk about that heavenly perspective. Paul had it. But you know how he gained the perspective? Not by leading an easy life. He gained this heavenly perspective by going through the fire. Suffering, persecution, distresses, reproaches. Paul learned this. When I'm weak, God is strong. God gives me strength. He gives me grace. Guys, none of us want to deal with weakness ever. None of us ever want to be seen by others as being weak. But each of us carry inherent weakness as human beings in need of the power of God. And I think even added to the inherent weaknesses of just a human There are many who have to deal with other weaknesses in this life too. But there's great encouragement for us here that the Lord gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, He increases strength. That His grace is sufficient for us. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Our feebleness, guys, our failing strength actually works to more clearly and powerfully broadcast the Lord's fame. I want to say that one more time. Our feebleness. In our pride, we would never say that at best. I'm feeble. I'm weak. In our pride, we're like, I'm strong. I got this. 
I mean, at times I need God's help, but just at times. Most of the time I'm doing pretty good. No, you're not. And neither am I. Those times that we think that we're the strongest, our pride has made us incredibly weak, incredibly in need. Our feebleness, our failing strength actually works by the grace of God, the power of God, the the wisdom of God to more clearly and powerfully broadcast the Lord's fame because those around us will see that it wasn't us, was not our strength, it was not our power, was not our ability, it was not our wisdom, but that it had to be the Lord in us and through us. I mean, what was going to come away with this after building the walls? The people going, look what we built. We're great. You know what the enemies are going to say? Their God was with them in the building. How do we gain that sort of testimony from those on the outside who actually are opposing us? It's when us in our feebleness and our weakness, we are relying wholeheartedly on Jesus Christ alone. We've got to, that's got to be us. Because you and I have, I'm sure, I, I, I feel confident I can speak for all of us, we've, we've done enough stuff in our own strength and we've seen what it produces. We need to see God do something greater than we could ever do. And that means relying upon the greatness and the power of our God. Well, let's move on, verses 11 and 12. I don't want to have to like make this half study into another half of a study. <laughs> verses 11 and 12. And our adversary, so Judah's saying, our, faith, our strength is failing. Then, verse 11, our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came they, that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. See, discouragement and distraction are not the enemy's only tactics. There are many, many others. But since verse 8, we've been seeing a different one being implemented. It's the tactic of fear. Fear that would come in because of the threats that continue to pour in as the Jews who lived outside of Jerusalem, who lived near the enemy territory, were hearing reports. And they're coming back to Nehemiah and they're going, this is what I've heard. They're, they're going to come against us. They're going to come in among us. They're going to kill us. We're not even going to know that it came. We're not going to see it coming. It's going to be stealthy. It's going to be secretive. It's going to be surprising to us, but they're going to do it. They're going to kill us. And this fear tactic came in at a time where the strength of the laborers was becoming exhausted. The people were feeling overwhelmed by the amount of rubble needing to be cleared away that they didn't feel like they could even focus on building at all. And in a similar way, our spiritual enemy loves to attack when we are physically or emotionally exhausted. When we're in a state where maybe we might more easily let our guard down against temptation and opposition. 
and loves to attack when we're feeling overwhelmed by the things that we're facing, wanting to drive us to places of fear and anxiety and hopelessness, wanting to get our eyes off of what the Lord has done, like the walls already being built halfway, and onto what isn't happening, the walls not yet being completed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. But how many of you, just like me, have been blindsided by spiritual warfare? Oh man, where did that, what's happening? In a married relationship, this happens. The form of arguments and strife, all of a sudden something's happening and it's like, what just happened? Where did that come from? A misunderstanding, a lack of communication even. And the enemy's there just wanting to monopolize on that. He's wanting to get in and drive a wedge and cause strife and cause division and, and cause a disruption and, and ruin your witness to your kids or to, the, to your neighbors. And oftentimes we can be ignorant of Satan's devices when Paul's saying, we're not. Again, that heavenly vantage point, you and I have to live in light of the reality that there's a realm that we don't see, that God's going, you don't see it, but you need to be aware of it and you need to be watchful and, and on guard because you have an enemy that's, that's roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know that you and I are never going to be those people that Satan goes, oh, I don't want to devour them. He wants us. Why? Because he just wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't care about you and me. Destruction is all he cares about. We cannot be ignorant of Satan's devices. God has told us about Satan, told us about the forces of darkness, not so that we'll cower in fear, but that so we'll be, we'll be, we, we won't be ignorant about our enemy and the way that they work in their agenda. You know, the great thing for us is that we have an already defeated opponent. We are fighting from a place of victory because we have a victorious Savior named Jesus who has already won. On the cross, Jesus didn't say, and it's just about halfway there. There's still a bit more. And he breathes his lad. He gives up his spirit. Can you imagine? We're all like, what does that mean for us? <laughs> it is finished was a battle cry. He, he did it. He won. Satan didn't win. He knows his end better than you and I do. He knows how it's going to end for him. He knows that the lake of fire is his eternal destination. And God has rescued us. And on the cross, Jesus goes, it's finished. I've done everything, all that we have to do. Now, there's no work you and I are still needing to tie up for Jesus. Like he didn't, you know, he did most, he did 99%, but there's still that little bit in there. It's finished. We get to just come to Jesus by grace through faith. 
Guys, you and I cannot be ignorant of the enemy's devices. We've got to be on guard. Just like they set a watch day and night, you and I have to do the same thing. You and I have to for, our, for ourselves, if we're married, for our, our spouses, if we have kids, for our children, for our, for our coworkers and our neighborhoods. Who are the people who are on watch? It's not unbelievers. They're living life according to the prince of the power of the air. You and I are the people on watch. We're to be the ones who are interceding. We got to do it. Verse 13. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I just want us to say, I just want to say real quick, like, this was not an army. These were not warriors. Like, whatever mental picture we might have, we're not looking at, like, thousands upon thousands of, like, David's mighty men type of people. Like, these are normal people. Remember who's among them? Perfumers, goldsmiths, merchants, families, husbands and wives, little kids, and you've got a bow, and you've got a spear, and you've got a sword. Like, get to the wall. Okay. <laughs> this wasn't like a confident, like everyone's just like, Ugh, like even the women are yoked, you know. It's like, it was just, these are normal people, run-of-the-mill people. Get to the wall, we're arming you. Ten times news is pouring in that the impending attack was going to come from every direction. You imagine how uneasy everyone felt as they heard that? Every direction, we can't defend against that. We're not warriors. Nehemiah has them do something very practical. Again, stations the men of the families at the more vulnerable places on the wall, the lower sections, the openings where there were still breaks in the wall. And then he sets the people according to their families, and again, he, he arms them. And he gives them this powerful exhortation. He tells them, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. See, before charging them to fight, for their brethren, sons, daughters, wives, houses, he first reminds them of the Lord, of who he is, that he's great, that he's awesome. See, reminders are needed because we can easily become forgetful when it comes to our God and the promises of his word. Listen to what a few of the Psalms say about remembering the Lord. First in Psalm 77, verse 11. The psalmist there says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Then in Psalm 105, verses 4 and 5, Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face evermore. Remember His marvelous works which He has done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. 
But in order to remember, we first need to store the promises of God in our hearts. Can't remember something that you never learned, never heard, never stored. We've got to remember the ways that he's worked, his faithfulness, his power, his presence in the past. This is a powerful exhortation Nehemiah gives this people, and it's something that we have to take to heart today too. We need to be reminded. I feel like much of what happens here on Sunday mornings is reminders. This is a, for, for probably a, a majority of us, it's not. This isn't stuff like we've never heard before, concepts we've never heard before. It's like we're being reminded of age-old, foundational, solid, trustworthy it's the, just the truth of God's word. These are just things that you and I, we, we need to be reminded and reminded and reminded. Why? Because we forget. We forget. And sometimes our hearing gets dull. And sometimes our hearts grow a little cold. And we need God to soften us once again. We need him to open our ears and our eyes once again. We need him to speak things to us once again that we've heard maybe a thousand times before. I need to be reminded just as much as you do of the Lord. He's the Lord, and he's great, and he's awesome. There's no one like him. There is no other God but him. But I, but I want us to notice again that the men were stationed at the more vulnerable sections of the wall to defend it. And, and I want to speak just for a moment specifically to the men of our church, and this is for me also. You know, for us as men, as, as maybe husbands or fathers, as brothers or sons, it, it's us that need to position ourselves at the wall, especially the more vulnerable sections, the weak sections, the broken down sections, the openings, armed for this spiritual battle. Now is not the time, nor will there ever be this side of heaven to sit on the sideline, to be bench warmer Christians. Men, our family, our friends need us to go to battle spiritually for them, to stand in the gap. It's the spiritual walls that need to be built up and strengthened and defended, but with the men we also saw that the people were stationed according to their families. So this isn't just a needed word for the men in the room, but for everyone in the body of Christ. Man or woman, young or old, married or single, your family, your friends need you to go to battle spiritually for them, to stand in the gap for them, to pray and support and build and strengthen and defend their spiritual walls. For all of us, are we stationed at the wall currently? Grandparents, dads and moms, husbands and wives, single men and women. Because if we're not, the enemy is going to come in and destruction is going to follow. We've already seen this happening throughout the millennia in every culture, in every community. When the wall is unattended, destruction happens. The family unit has been targeted like never before in our society to undermine marriages, to undermine families, 
to cause men to feel like they, they don't need to be the spiritual leaders of their homes anymore. Guys, we have to come back to a biblical perspective of what God has called us to be as men and women of God. Our lives, personally, our marriages, our families, our character, our purity can either be another failure added to the world's statistics or they can be an awesome testimony of God's grace and power and victory to the watching world around us. Verse 15, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. As they sought the Lord, as they focused on Him, God frustrated their enemies' plans, brought their plans to nothing. So this wasn't a chance sort of thing. It was actually a clear indicator to Nehemiah and the people that their God had showed up, that their God had protected them. Their God, who was great and awesome, was the one who did it. Because Nehemiah had encouraged them to not be afraid, but to remember the Lord, to get their minds and their eyes back onto the Lord who was great and awesome, they were able to more easily and readily see how God was present and working and protecting in the midst of the opposition and the discouragement and the threats. And because they knew the plans of the enemy, something God revealed to them as an act of His grace... And because he was the one who had clearly thwarted the enemy's plans, they were able to return to the wall, everyone to their work. See, the victory wasn't that they were not actually attacked. That wasn't the victory. The victory was that they, that, was that they continued trusting the Lord and they kept on working. But, but notice that the work of building and defending didn't stop. And for us, it can never stop either but has to continue on. Half the people here worked at building the wall. The other half were ready for any possible attacks of the enemy, and they had their weapons in their hands. But even those who built worked construction with one hand and held a weapon in the other hand, always building, but always ready to defend at the same time. You know, there are two certainties that should stand out to us here that our enemy is never going to stop opposing, and that the need for building the wall spiritually is never going to stop either. See, if we get so focused on the defending and we leave the building, we're missing something. The building and the defending has to go together, always. The sword and the trowel, defense, but also that tool to build that we're continuing to focus on that. Let's read our final section of verses here, verses 19 through 23. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. 
wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, verse 22, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. I see things for us as a church in verse 19. The work that God has set before us, His great commission to reach this world with His gospel, to make disciples of all the nations, is great and extensive. It could feel overwhelming to us when we think of it as a whole. And in some ways, we're also separated from one another on the wall. We each have our own busy lives with our own responsibility, and it makes it harder for us to stay connected throughout the week. But our Sunday worship service is sort of our, our trumpet sound, our, our rally point. It's our time to come together and be reminded that our God will fight for us. And what a great reminder verse 20 is for us. He will fight for us. See, this isn't all on you and me. We have a Lord who is great and awesome, who's at work in and through our lives, and He's not done working. He will finish the good work that He's begun in each of us. Why? Because He's that great and awesome. He's a faithful God. You know, no matter the condition of our walls spiritually, He wants to build and renew and revive and restore each of us spiritually. But I want to share uh, what David Gutzik said about the, the commitment we see in the people here in the final verses of chapter 4. He wrote in his commentary, they, they kept their clothes on all the time because they did not want to be caught unprepared. They were always ready to respond to the blast of a trumpet. He says, Christians need to be armed with the same attitude today. They need to be always ready, always clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, always wearing the armor of God and ready for that final trumpet blast that will gather us together with our Lord. Are we ready? Are we prepared? Are we fighting? Are we building? Because we need to be. I love Paul in 1 Corinthians 1558, he said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, the hard part for us as we build is sometimes when we don't see the outcome that we want to see, we start to feel like it's in vain. So why should I even keep going? Why should I keep trying? Why should I keep fighting for my marriage? Why should I keep being loving to my neighbor? Why should I keep being gracious with my coworkers, just offensive all the time? I'm trying to build and I'm trying to defend and I'm trying to be an ambassador for Jesus, but it just might, at times we feel like maybe our labor is in vain. It's hard when we're in that spot to be steadfast, to be immovable. 
But guys, we have to remember that our work is in the Lord. You're not doing those things for that person. You're doing it for the Lord. You're doing it because God has called you and he's called me to his work. It is a spiritual work. It is an eternal work that you and I have been called to in the kingdom of God. And we can't make the thing that's going to keep us immovable the outcome that we're hoping to see. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Lord, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep working because that's what you've called me to. And Lord, if I don't see the outcome I want to see, I'm going to trust that my labor is not in vain. God, you're doing something. You're working. You're present. You're faithful. You are great and awesome even when my circumstances don't seem very great and don't seem very awesome. And Lord, if you don't move the mountain, you've got grace and strength for me in this time, in this season, in this moment, in this situation. Guys, would we be able to rest in who our God is? Would we be reminded our great God is fighting for us? He's got us. And he's not done. He's not done with us. Until that final trumpet blast comes or we breathe our last breath, he's not done. He's got abundant work, an abundant harvest field all around us that he's called us into. And by his grace, he wants to empower us to go out. He wants to empower us to endure. He wants to empower us to be those gospel proclaimers, those hope bearers. Amen. Now the worship team come back up. Lord God, we thank you for your word. God, we're thankful, Lord, for the example in our our portion of scripture this morning, what wasn't intended to be a part two, but Lord, you knew. God, I pray, Lord, there's things here today that God, you would speak to us. Lord, you'd convict and correct and challenge us. But Lord, with that, you'd also build up Lord, you'd equip, Lord, and strengthen, and God, you know, you know those, Lord, who are in a season uh, uh, of maybe just, Lord, everything just seems, maybe weakness is the right word to use. God, maybe for some, they've been praying for you to move the mountains, maybe like Paul, praying for a, a, a type of thorn in the flesh to be removed, and God, maybe the only response back they've gotten from you is my grace is sufficient and my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Lord, if that's the word you're speaking to some today, God, would it be not a word of of feeling defeated, like, man, nothing's gonna change. But Lord, would it actually be a word of hope? Because the God of hope is saying, I've got grace and I've got strength and I'm working. And Lord, would each one in that spot this morning see that, God, you're fighting for them, whether they feel it or not. Lord, our emotions betray us. Our emotions can lie to us. Lord, would we trust in who you are? Would we remember the Lord, great and awesome? God, would you show up in circumstances? Lord, those that are dealing with broken down walls in their own lives, in a marriage, in in a relationship with a kid or a parent or a a sibling or a neighbor or a friend. God, would you position your people at the wall 
God, would the men of our church, Lord, be men of God who lead well, lead their homes, lead their families. Lord, would the, would, would the wives, Lord, would they be women of God? Would the single men and women, Lord, would they, be, would they be single people of God who are stationed at the wall? Would the younger, younger people in our church, would they see that, God, you have a work for them? You have a place for them on the wall. God, would they station themselves there, Lord, with, the, with, with both defense and with building? God, would we see you do a new work of building in our lives? God, in situations, in workplaces, in neighborhoods, God. In our communities, Lord, across our nation. Lord, renew, rebuild, revive, restore. Reconcile, Lord God. Heal, bring hope. And Lord, drive back the enemy. Lord God, protect us. Help us to not be ignorant of Satan's devices but to be watchful, to be on guard, to be ready. And Lord, would we be living, would we be living, Lord, in that anticipation, Lord, of the imminent return of Jesus Christ for his bride, his church, for us. Lord God, clothe us even day, even today, Lord, with your armor. And God, if there's anybody here this morning, they, they haven't first just put their their hope in Jesus. They never received your free gift of salvation. And maybe today, the, the, the only thing that God's wanting is just to, to say to you, look, you need your sins forgiven. You need salvation. And he has that for you this morning as a free gift of his grace. He just wants you to open your heart to him, to humble yourself, to repent of your sin and say, Jesus, save me. Is that anybody here I could pray for you this morning? Would you raise your hand? You're going, that's me. Maybe this morning you're, you're more in the camp of, man, I've been dealing with weakness. I've been praying for the mountain to move. I'm, I, I, I've been experiencing spiritual warfare and I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm feeling exhausted and you're just needing a, a fresh touch from the Lord in your life. Would you raise your hand if that's you and you're going, I, Lord, I need you to move in me right now. Anybody else? I see you. Anybody else? You're going, I need the Lord to just meet me where I am at. God, you see these whose hands have raised, who raised their hands. Lord God, would you meet them in a special way today? God, we know that you can move the mountains and we pray that you would and that you will by your power but Lord, if you don't, Lord, would the power of God be present to help them to endure? God, would your strength be made perfect in their weakness? Would your grace, Lord, would they see it for how sufficient it truly is? God, would you be near? Would you walk with your people this week? Lord, whether we feel like we're on the mountaintop or whether we feel like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus, as our shepherd, you never leave us. You are with us. Your rod and your staff comforts us. And Lord, you are preparing a place. You've gone already. Lord, that where you are, we will be with you also forever. Lord, help us to live in light of your soon return. Lord, help us to be 
steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. God, help us to see the harvest around us, Lord. Give us your heart for others. God, give us boldness. Help us to be those who stand in the gap in prayer. Lord, to position ourselves at the wall. God, would we be both building and defending, even this week, even today, by your power, by your spirit, in your grace, for your glory. We thank you, Father. And Lord, as we sing these songs of praise, Lord, would our hearts, Lord, match the words that we sing. Lord, would we not be singing something and our hearts are far from you? Lord, but would, be, would we be, Lord, near both with our words and, Lord, with the, the, the position of our hearts this morning? God, as we take the communion elements, Lord, will we truly commune with you, Lord, in a way that pleases you? God, as prayer is available, God, would your people take advantage of that? Lord, would your people be ministered to through that time? But, Lord, we just continue to worship you this morning, Father, in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.